he's willing to die for me when I'm at my worst against him. Hmm. Am I willing to even share him with somebody who is my enemy or who I don't like, Hmm. let alone die for them? Thanks for listening to If That Makes Sense, the family life original podcast where we talk about what life is really like as a young person following Jesus. My name's Tim. I'm in Family Life's radio department. My name's Mike, and I'm in Family Life's performing arts and events departments. My name is Becky, and I'm in Family Life's development department. Here we are, chapter five. We'd be happy to know you're following along with us in the book of Romans and God's word. But if you're not, you're jumping in. This is your first episode of if that makes sense that you're listening to, well, by all means, welcome. Thanks for being here. Jump right on in with us. We're just going through God's word in the book of Romans for this third series of episodes. Yeah, today we're just going to do the first part of Romans 5 because feels like just reading that over, like there's a little too much to really do in one episode. Mike, want to take it away for us? Romans 5, 1 to 11? Sure. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Wow, we went through a lot of bad news to get here. (laughs) The first few chapters in Romans, like, rough. There's tough stuff. A lot of reminders of how broken we are. And then you get to this stuff. And it's so beautiful. Like, if you're a theologian and you know way more than I do about the Bible and, and history of theology and stuff, you can probably just mine this like it's just a, a gold mine of stuff. And, and even if you don't have all that much understanding of the Bible, and, and maybe it's the first part of the Bible you've really read for yourself, there's still stuff here that's right on the surface that you can pick up and walk away with just spiritually rich. It's like, wow, so much there. I like to just pick little parts of a Bible verse Mm. or Bible passage like this and like just listen for the one thing, like the whole thing can wash over you and there's so much there. What's like one thing that hits you just as a little different, you know, and that can be different every time you read God's word. Mm. And one of them for me this time was hope does not put us to shame. Hmm. I was thinking then about what what is hope that does put you to shame? I thought about my own life. Have you ever told somebody something you were excited to do or something you were excited about that was going to happen in your life that didn't happen? And you're so excited 
everybody saw how excited you were. You were beaming about it, this expectation you had, and it fell flat. You almost have this weird feeling where you don't want to see those friends again after those dreams didn't come true. It's like shame. Why would that, like, that's, first of all, that's sad. It's like adding insult to injury that mm-hmm. you didn't get the thing you were excited about. And now, now you, you feel ashamed to be around the people who saw that you had that hope. I'm not saying that that experience is what this verse is talking about. But hope, hopes in this world can put us to shame. Mm-hmm. We can be all about something. We can be looking forward to something, setting our hope, big capital H hope on something, you know, more than just what you hope you're going to have for dinner tonight. We can be setting like our identity hope, our self-image hope, our future plans hope on something in this world that if it doesn't come true, it kind of feels like it puts us to shame. Oh, where am I now? What do I have Mm -hmm. now? How do I show my face to those friends I told my plans to now? When you hope in the kind of hope God gives, which is what's interesting, it says in this verse, and uh, looking at the beginning of that passage there, that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's hope can't put us to shame Hmm. because it's himself. Mm -hmm. He puts it inside of us. It's the Holy Spirit and other parts of scriptures are referred to as a guarantee, like a down payment of what is to come. We have the Spirit who dwells in us now, but we still have sin in our hearts and we feel that disconnect from God. Even though we have the guarantee that of his presence, it's within us now. And someday our hope is, our sure hope in Christ is, we'll be united with God fully someday. That's a hope that never puts us to shame. Tim, you're talking about that hope that you really hope this thing happens and you tell all your friends about it and then it doesn't happen and it's hard to face them. It reminded me of back in high school when people were at the age to start getting their driver's license. But Mm -hmm. you wouldn't tell your friends when you were going to get your license because if you didn't get it, then you'd have to face them and say, I didn't, I failed. Oh, I, I thought exactly of that. But I think it's interesting how the word hope when you look at it from a biblical perspective, is almost the opposite of the world's perspective. Huh. I was I was looking up the definitions and I found this interesting. In most dictionaries, they define hope and then a little further down, they delineate here's the biblical definition or here's the definition in a religious sense. So the world's hope is just a wish. Like, I wish this would happen. I hope I get this test grade. I hope this is a wish. It might happen. It might not. But biblical hope from the Bible, that's that's a promise. Mm. That That's why it will never be put to shame. We'll never be let down by that hope because it's a promise. God says right there, we use the word hope from the Bible to mean a promise that it's not I hope this thing happens, but it might not happen and I might get let down. Like you were saying, it's like, it's a done deal. God lays it out right there for us. Thought How interesting, we use the same word, but it means totally different things, whether you're coming at it from the perspective of the world, which is, I wish this would happen, or from, from God's hope that he gives us, which is promise, done deal, never will disappoint. And building off of that definition of hope, too, 
if we back up in the verse a little bit, it says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and a hope does not put us to shame. Mm. And that hope gets to me, it seems like it builds and it keeps becoming more of a promise that we can look forward to and that'll be fulfilled mm. because as we're going through different sufferings, we're building endurance and then we're building character and that character produces the hope and the hope that we have in Christ and in our salvation and our mm -hmm. internal resting place. And if our endurance and our character is building, then that leads me to believe that our hope is building. So as mm -hmm. we continue to gain endurance and gain character, we're also learning more about who God is and God's character and what that full hope and that full promise is. So as our knowledge builds of that promise, our hope builds and it encourages mm. us that way because we learn more fully what that hope is. Mm -hmm. Even too, that it's a promise really, that when you're in Christ, your sufferings don't have to end with that. They don't have mm. to stop at, at being sufferings. They're part of this chain that God's put together that builds us up into who we're supposed to be. Like, it's not just suffering is suffering. Hey, get through it. Everybody has it. No, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. All this is a perspective that's really infused with hope the whole way through. I think that's beautiful, knowing our lives in Christ can be beginning to end, infused with hope, even in, even, and we say it all the time, it could sound like a cliche, but it's absolutely true, even in the darkest of times. We can know that. Yeah, I think it's super beautiful. And that's just the first couple verses. Because as we go along, there's other beautiful things and, and classics and stuff. <laughs> classics, I say. But they really are. Like these these are, I mean, this is why the book of Romans is so well loved and preached on and studied over the years is because it's the gospel laid out for verse six. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I said I like to focus on one part sometimes, you know, just when you're reading God's word, one part, something sticks out to you and you chew it over, kind of like just appreciating it, like it's a meal God has given you. This is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for this this truth here. Sometimes, though, something sticks out to you because you don't quite get it. Um, I'm just going to ask here. I'd love to hear another perspective. It's the phrase, the right time. That's what gets me in my translation. I don't know what you are reading out of over there, but hmm. that's really interesting to me. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I feel like I could just kind of turn that over like a diamond, look at it from different angles, be like, wow, what is that? What does that, what does that mean? That? Yeah. There are so many ways in which it is the right time that mm -hmm. Jesus stepped in for us. But I'm just, like we always say on the show, we're not pastors. We're not telling you how to read the Bible. But like, how does that strike you? thing that came to my mind, and I think I'm reading from the same version that you are, Tim, because mine also says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When I first read that, I was like, hmm, I wonder what that means. Like, at the right time, was there a wrong time? <laughs> no, there probably isn't a wrong time for that. <laughs> but um, my mind went back to Job and how God allowed Job to be tested and for all of those terrible things to happen to him. And for some reason, it just stuck out to me. It's like, okay, at that time in Job's life, that's when he went through them all. Hmm. Um, not really sure why that popped out in my mind, um, but I was like, okay, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
it had to be a very difficult thing, and it was a lot of suffering that was involved. God allowed that to happen in Job's life at that particular time, and this is when God allowed that to happen in Christ's life. If it had happened when he was 20 instead of 33, that mm. would have looked a little bit different. So I'm not sure mm. why 33 was the magical age. Um, but yeah, I found that very interesting as mm -hmm. well. I, that is interesting. Like Jesus living to that age, he fulfilled like his public ministry mm -hmm. happened only just a few years before uh, he began just a few years before he was crucified. And so many of those prophecies did get fulfilled. So, they, yeah, that's that's interesting. Mentioning Job, you know, comes to mind because I did read that in my devotion time this morning in the book of James. Hmm. James is talking about, uh, he says, it's funny because he's talking about Job, also talking about our persevering through, through troubles, kind of like you were just mentioning a, a minute ago there, Becky. He says uh, in James chapter 5, jumping over there for a second here, though, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And, you know, I'll just say what you said. Yeah, I don't know why that comes to mind here, but that is interesting in the sense of what the Lord finally brought about. Like Job didn't see it all at first. There was God's timing was at play there in Job's suffering. It had to all play out before he really found God in the midst of that. And, you know, whether it's talking about the right time in Christ's earthly ministry or the right time in our own lives, either one, both of them, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Whatever way you look at it, it happened in God's good timing. Though we were sinners, God is righteous, and he stepped in just when he needed to, to fulfill all the promises of the Messiah and to show that Jesus was who he claimed he was and to save us right where we were at, right in God's perfect timing. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like that that gets to the heart of what the gospel is for every mm -hmm. single one of us. And if we jump a little bit further down too, it also compares us to enemies. Um, in verse 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. Yeah. Um, and that word just jumped out at me because like I can think, okay, ungodly, unworthy. Yeah, I can resonate with those, but do I want to? attach myself to the word enemy. Hmm. Um, and if I really think about it, it's like, yeah, I, I was an enemy and Christ laid down his life for me. And just that example of, oh, yeah, you know, we might be willing to lay down our lives for somebody who we know really well or who we care a lot for, but he died for me when I was still his enemy. That takes it to an even deeper level. Um, and for me, an even more convicting level was like, okay, He's willing to die for me when I'm at my worst against him. Hmm. Am I willing to even share him with somebody who is my enemy or who I don't like, hmm. let alone die for them? A while back when I was reading this, something that struck me was the word peace that's at the very beginning of chapter five. And then like you were just saying, Becky, enemies down at the bottom and how they sort of tie together. Oh, Someone was 
speaking on this subject, and he was talking about the word peace and what does that mean. We often pray for peace, the peace that passes understanding in, in somebody's life who's going through something really hard. And we think of peace as this feeling of tranquility, this feeling that everything's all right. And that's one definition of it, but sort of the idea that there's even more meaning to, to a word or to a, a passage is what was really cool to me. So this person was talking about the other definition of peace, which is the opposite of war. Peace, mm. peace is an absence of war. And here in Romans 5.1, it doesn't say we have peace through God or we have peace from God, like he's giving us this feeling of tranquility. It says we have peace with God, mm. meaning we are not at war with God. Mm. And what a humbling um, thought to think that at one point in time, I was God's enemy. I was at war with the God of the universe. And there's so many words. I circled all these like wartime words that I found in here. Um, enemies, wrath of God. We were in, in line to receive the wrath of God, justified, being legally declared yeah. okay, reconciliation, restored relationships. What happens after war when you have to pick up and move on with your life? You have to restore those things. Like there's so many words in here that hearken to some sort of war versus peace. When I'm praying for peace, I'm, I'm not just praying for a future feeling. I'm praying for an eternity mm. of not being at war with the God who created me. That's a very vivid picture that reminds me how small I am and how big he is. That helps me when I'm going through something to remember my place and that he needs to be first. And that also helps me too to understand when I see someone who has not yet accepted Christ and they're rejecting it or coming up against not understanding and you see all of that trouble and turmoil there, it helps me realize that that's because they're at war with God in that moment. Mm. They mm. haven't yet come to peace with God because they're still warring between accepting what Christ did and recognizing Christ and God for who they are versus leading their own life and living in sin. It's so much more than just, oh, accept Christ and live for him. It's no, let's pull you out of this war and let's help you get to the point of being at peace with God instead of being his enemy. And it just gives me a whole new appreciation for that. Yeah. Using words like war and enemies, words that are right here in God's, God's word in the Bible. It's making me think very differently about what it means to surrender to Christ. Hmm. You know, talk wow. about our, our lives with surrendered to Christ. And, you know, that's a beautiful image. We think about it in a very humble and, and gentle way. And, and Christ does come to us gently. Absolutely. But you can also see that word surrender as when we are in rebellion to God, living in sin before we've accepted his sacrifice on our behalf, we're, we're fighting an enemy, so to speak. We could never hmm. hope to win hmm. against. And our only chance of life is to surrender. And of course, the difference here is an earthly surrender is we're treated far better than we ever deserve once he folds us into his camp. 
because mm-hmm. he makes us his children. I mean, it's completely unbelievable upside down from the way this world does things and this world's kingdoms do things. Yeah. But yeah, really, when you think about that we, before we accept Christ, are his enemies, what a different thing it is to imagine when we surrender our mm-hmm. lives truly to God. Mm-hmm. Something that popped into my mind from from a a little bit ago, Tim, when you were talking about the verse that says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. I was thinking of the movies that we love, and we love the stories of sacrifice when somebody gives their life for somebody else. And you don't see this too often in movies, I don't think, but every once in a while, there will be a movie that that is really playing to the idea that this person gave his life for somebody who didn't deserve it, who mm. didn't. And, you know, we're, we're sitting in the movie theater thinking, that's so beautiful. That's so wonderful. And in real life, when those types of things happen, there's this sense of certainly gratitude, but also I think some indebtedness that like you risked your life for me Ergo, I'm going to treat you differently for the rest of my life. Yeah. Or if if this person really did die for me, I'm probably going to treat their family differently. Certainly, helping and and living as much as I can to to encourage or or benefit them. How ironic that that's the picture of what Christ did for us, and how quick we are to forget that and. I live my life my own way, mm. however I, I want. I, I wrote down um, next to that verse, why would I let Christ be in control of my entire life? Look what he did for me. Like those, those verses say as plainly as could possibly be, I've done nothing for this. Mm. Christ died for me when I was his enemy, when I was a sinner, there is nothing that I did to deserve this. How much more so than ought my life to be lived with him first, him always, him in every way. And we do it for people that we come in contact with, the real people that we can see every day mm. when they do something nice for us, when they risk something for us. We remember that. But the God of the universe died for us and I'm so quick to be selfish and, but I want to do this, but I want this thing, but I'd rather do this than go to church on Sunday. And just thought, hmm, that's the reason Christ should be center of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All that happens in 11 verses. He packs all that in. And like I said, <laughs> so much more. But that's what happens when you get into God's word. Like it's there. It's able to be understood by anyone. And whenever you're having difficulty, understand it. Like talk to a good Bible preaching pastor. And, and, and get in touch with somebody who you know who has a close walk with the Lord and get to know God's word more. But whatever you do, it's just a great reminder for each one of us. It's beautiful and it's just waiting for us anytime. You just go to choose and pick it up. 
Thank you for joining us for If That Makes Sense, the family life podcast about what life is really like as a young adult following Jesus. If you enjoy the show, please send it to a friend. Your genuine appreciation of the show is the best way for word to get out. And it would make our day if you left us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. Family Life has more great original podcasts that you can check out at familylife.org slash podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you along for the next one.